let me just say this before we start talking about children. Um, this is not a sermon on how to raise your child or parenting, though I think it kind of serves as nothing less than a help in that area. I think our idolatry of children can only be broken by the gospel. And as our mission statement says, we can be freed to hear God's truth and rest in his grace concerning uh, this issue. The how-tos and, that you and I so desperately want to know are useless. All those books on how to raise your children and what to do and, and Dr. Spock and Dr. whoever else, you know, they're useless if our hearts and relationship towards the Lord because of idolatry are wrong. I say this because I know that if you want to start a fight, talk about someone's children. But more acutely, talk about their parenting. You want to bring civil war to what's been so far a fairly peaceful, eclectic community up here in Christ Central Church? Talk about discipline and how some kids are out of control because of some parents' lack of discipline or over-discipline. This church could fall apart and split on the lives, lines of whether to spank or not. You know, if you want to grow a church, make a commitment to and, and then break your neck and bank account to provide the safest, kid-friendliest church. Sermons at 15 minutes and no more to not infringe upon lunchtime. Do you want to be dropped like a hot potato in the middle of a heart-wrenching life dilemma or conversation. Just let it be nap time. And the person you're talking to is gone. You want to lose your friend or friendships? Let them become mommy or daddy. And they just seem to disappear. We can all agree on... Uh, regardless of which angle we come from, children are important. How we handle them, raise them, and and love on them says a lot about who we are, how we feel about ourselves, and and, and applies to all of us here because it, it feeds on how our parents felt and treated us. And whether you're parents here or babysitters or or working the nursery or you're the aunts and uncles, children and childhood, like anything that central and critical to our identity can and has become some one of our biggest idols. Our saviors. Children have become our source of worth. They've even become our redeemers. How and why have the children, the the ones we are called to as adults and and parents to raise and protect and love, how have they become our saviors, our redeemers? I think one way that is fairly clear to all of us is when we seek to have new life through their lives. Now, the first scripture that was read to you was David, King David. Yeah, the one who wrote the Psalms, talking to his son Solomon, who was going to become the next king on the throne. And and when we look at David's deathbed advice to his son Solomon, it, it was about continuing and even improving his reign through his son's life. And I will tell you, the advice was pretty good up to verse 4, but not so good 
after that. See, what David did is he called Solomon to secure the kingdom for his sake, for, for daddy's legacy. Not to write beautiful psalms to the Lord in the field, but to be like the Godfather. Watch your back, Solomon. Take these folk out. Be strong, bold, and not emotional and weak like my harp strumming, singing, overly charismatic self. Notice now he doesn't teach him how to be a man after God's own heart, even after the first four verses of Scripture and and, and following the law. Or or he doesn't tell him how he killed another another man to get his wife. And, and, And the idol of being in charge was alive in David's new idol of redemption. His son, Solomon. Solomon, all the things I failed to do in my life as king, I want you to do it. Yes, I was not allowed to build the temple for the Lord because I had a bloody reign and I killed a lot of people I shouldn't have killed. But Solomon, hey, those people I couldn't kill and take care of, I want you to do it. Give me new life. Make sure the throne, my throne is secure. And here is how you do it. Kill this guy and let this guy live and and, and politic this way and be wise in that way. And it's what in part caused Solomon to be such a smart, wise, but spoiled, demanding, never satisfied brat of a king. Solomon was a successful the successful rich kid in a way his dad wanted and never was able to be. But he was the biggest addict and more heartless than his dad ever was. Childolatry on David's part burned his kid even into adulthood. Childolatry, as we'll call it in America, and in Christendom. Is built in, and let me say this, it's shrouded in, in some well-meaning, nice little American foolishness. We say stuff like, I do it, and I push them and treat this way, because I want them to have what I didn't have. How many times have we heard or said that, or thought that? I want my kids to, to be better than me. I don't want him or her to be like me. I hate my life and the pain I went through, and, and yes, this is good stuff, maybe. You see, God's command to give to our children is about them knowing him, knowing the goodness that he is about. But but for many of us, the motivations get twisted and confused. It becomes about living our new life through our children. Some of you are going to push your kids to be the best soccer player, the best football player. To be the athlete because you were such a nerd growing up. Or maybe you were a sports guy, but you failed to be the best you could be. Some of you are ultra-disciplinarian. I mean, really hard, crushing parents because you were so rebellious in your life. Some of you won't spank or discipline because you were abused or bullied or made fun of as a child. And, and some of you want your kid to be the popular one because you were so unpopular growing up. Some of you will push your daughters to have very small waist 
because you hate the way you look. I was watching, um, it was a commercial on Oprah, and they were highlighting the fact that part of the, the issue with anorexia in, among young girls is because it's the mom. It isn't even the magazines. It isn't even the guy saying we like skinny girls. It's the mother saying, baby, look at a little big hair. I don't want you to turn out like me. Or, you know, I want you to be like me. Remember I was talking, to, and Georgia and I were in, in a restaurant, and we read, what ran into one of the ladies who does um, uh, women's studies at the university. And we were talking about, you know, how this world is so hard for women's image and beauty and how the magazines and blah, blah, blah. And they said the number one cause is mothers at the wedding date. Girl, you know, you might need to lose a little bit to get in that dress. Your husband, he don't want nobody that big. Think about our men who want to be buff and they were always chubby growing up. Pushing our boys to, to be the greatest and the latest cut athlete. Some of you want this, this hope for, for southern society, for your dreams of breaking into high southern society. Hope they marry and associate with people you only dreamed of. Somewhere on the south side, you know, you want the influence factor for your children that you didn't have growing up. You know, it's why you chose a school for your kids or your parents chose a school for you. Why you can't let your kid go to MLK East Side Elementary. Because you want them to be near the influence. You want them to bump shoulders and have relationships with people you never had a chance to. You, you see all that you want to be and want them to live in. You know you grew up poor, white, trash, trash or ghetto fabulous, and you want your kids to be Charlotte Upper Crust. You want your kid to hang out with the Cosbys one day. Because you couldn't do it. All you could do is watch him on TV and dream. So I say, be careful. Where you're weak. And where your personal desires are. You know, I, I kind of have this dream too. And some of you may share it. Kind of have this dream you can go back to high school with all the knowledge you got now. Man, I'd be the man. At least I think I would be. You know, I'd be able to date this one and that one and be in this class and do this. I mean, I, I said, man, if I could go back to high school, I wouldn't be such a nerd, such a geek. I would have a good time. But you can through your kid. And what happens in many cases is this overly protective attitude of our children. I call it gold children syndrome. You look at your kids, you, just, you think they like gold, you know. And, and, and because you were neglected or abused in summer or even abandoned by parents who were too busy in your jobs or in relationship or passed away too early, I mean, you're over the top protective with your new substitutionary atonement, your new little savior, the second Adam for your fallen condition. We, we have to protect our invaluable time machine at all costs. And we will even give up intimacy with our husbands or wives and, and give up friendships or go into a, a huge amount of debt. And we will even not go to churches that really minister to our hearts because we're so child-centered salvation. 
Don't you know as adults in performance mode, when you're in performance mode, when you're trying to prove something, you know how you act. You act how your parents wanted you to be. It's called acceptance mode. We, we did this personality test when we were looking to hire our administrator and just seeing how we would fit with other people. And Scott Welton gave us this test, and he was like, okay, this column right here is who you really are. Okay? My gosh. This column over here is what you think your parents want you to be. This is how you act when you want to perform. Here's where you act when, here's what you're driving for. But this is who you really are. We have done and become in large part what our parents wanted to relive through us. And and let me tell you the other side. We're not even free to be anything like them because we are slaves to being anything but what they wanted us to be. So you're either one side, you're doing everything your parents wanted you to be and do, or you're not. You're doing everything the opposite because they were so strong-handed on trying to live their life through you. And all of us here are damaged and living and living broken proof of the redemption our parents may have achieved through us and what you are looking for in a new life through your children. Some of you have jobs because you were so, daddy so wanted to have that job or be that successful as you. Some of you are in certain size homes because you know your dad are coming and saying, man, or mom, Woo, this is nice. You made it. You made, you did me proud. You did me good. And what they're really saying in their heart is, wow, you've lived a new life for me. Thank you. I don't care how much debt it costs. I don't care how much marriage problems it costs. You got this big house and this big car and these great schools and you're on the right side of town and you have all the right friends. Thank you. And on the inside, you're falling Apart, You're in an identity struggle that your parents have been redeemed through. Now I tell you that the cycle this creates is vicious. Because the parental damage you received, it creates condemnation. When you have this kind of identity struggle between, man, I can't change my major. I can't do this thing because daddy so pushed me or mama so wanted me to do this. I have to be in this fraternity. I have to be in this sorority. I have to dress this way. I have to have this kind of boyfriend, a girlfriend. I've got to do all these things. And then one day you wake up and you realize you are not who you were supposed to be. When you, when you realize you're, you're living this life or someone has worked so hard on you, they're living their life through you and it creates a damage. You've got this fight between who you really are and who your parents were trying to live through, what you were trying to be so your parents could live through you. There's condemnation. And our adult lives have this sign on them, like a damaged building that says raised wrong or or built twisted or or fragile. It'll fall apart when you talk about who we really are or or rather we're not worthy of much. And, And we look at that kid. We look at our children that though we will not get any better, maybe they can save us from condemnation. Maybe they can save us from the damage we've done to ourselves. You know, our kids are are like the new uptown. Right? Going up, big buildings, big business. 
in our lives are the old drug-infested mill town. And we hope to get a new respect and new value as our children become our new way to heal our sins. To, I'm going to say to even forgive us. Our new way to, to work our way out of being so bad. And so we can use them to escape our very condemnation. When we look at the king's passage, the second king's third chapter passage. Now what was, uh, what some of the other countries did is nations did is is they believe that they could appease their gods that if they're in a bad situation the one thing they could do is is, is is sacrifice what was most important which was their children and somehow the god would would see that and change his mind or or forgive the sin of the person and you know because they believe hey if, if things ain't working out it's because you've done something wrong so give the, the child to him in, in, in other passages it's called passing your children through the fire And in this case, the king sees he's about to lose the war. And the Bible says he put his child up on the wall, his oldest son, and he burned him as a sacrifice to his God. He gives his child to the gods to forgive his sins, to fix and heal his situation. That was the the belief in him. So he and his cause can be saved. And this is so backwards again to what God asked for. Children, I mean, adults and and parents are here to keep our children from death, not them keep us from our death. You know, it is the folly of idolatry. Our children have kept us from inner harm and their warmth from the cold within our hearts. Like you parents, aunts, uncles, friends, I've done some awful things in my life. I've thought some really bad things in my life. And I see in my boys, I got two boys, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And I see their innocence. And sometimes I see their innocence as a way to kind of forgive my sins. In other words, if I do right and good by them... Maybe I can find freedom from my inner dilemma. You know, you always see this in in Hollywood, you know? Why'd you do it? I did it for the children. You know, you see these these stars, they're adopting all these kids, and, and, and it's almost like, you know, they've lived these really sordid lives or, or, or done these things, and the one line that seems to fix everything is, I love the children. Or they show up in some third world country, right? And they pick the worst clothes in their wardrobe, you know? Maybe they got the the, the $30 t-shirt instead of the $70 t-shirt. And they show up, you know? They they rip apart their $200 jeans and they go in there and they're like, what? I love the children. We use their innocence as a perfect sacrifice on the altar of our failures and sins. And and oftentimes, more than not, it works. Sometimes I run into my friends who who I was a part of in college, I mean, friends with in college. It's just so weird, you know. Here is the worst kid or, or student in college when we partied together, we did this and that, and then you see them with their kids. Hey, how you doing? 
You're good now. Yes, I am. I traded in my two-seater for a minivan. Oh, my gosh. You're holy now. You're a father. You're a mother. And we, we, we to redeem and free ourselves from condemnation, we pass them through the fires. We give our kids the greatest and the most and the awesomest, the most expensive to stand justified. But guess what? Look at our kids. Look how they're dressed. Look what school they go through. Look what kind of van we're riding in. We are pretty good people and parents. Look at them, but all oh, glory and justification to me. We want to do it to escape the invisible condemnation of the mirror that says, you know what? You're a pretty bad person. You've got some really serious issues in your heart. But look at my kids. They're pretty good. They got the latest Barney. Look, I didn't even go to Toys R Us. I went to Imaginon. They got the, the, the toys that help the brains and all. They stack in blocks. They put together puzzles. I'm not bad. We're all that. I'm pretty good. We look to our friends and our families and our God and we say, God, I am pretty good because I am a good parent. And I have a good child. And you know what happens? You live afraid to fail or have your child fail. Because they are your new spotless Lamb for your redemption. They can't fail. You can't fail. You have to be the perfect parent. And for those of us who live in the condemnation of not having control in our lives with children, it's a prime place to be redeemed. We use our kids and say to ourselves in this world, see, look, I'm not out of control. I'm okay like this king who lost control of the war. It became a moral thing before his gods. In a twisted way, children become something you can control Control and shape for your own purposes with what you want. All else in your life is out of control. They can stand, though, as a monument of your control. That's why some of us, again, fall apart when our child rearing doesn't go perfect. We've lost control over what this kid should do for us or what we should do for them. We want the perfect child and we'll provide all the perfect stuff to make it happen. And like a kid not allowed to leave the basement of our control, we will ruin their hearts before the Lord and this world. Don't you realize child abuse is is a subset of control? When people's worlds are out of control and, and you're a control freak, you're condemned by not having power in our hearts or our world. People will over-discipline their kid or not discipline them. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. But in it all, we ruin and burn our children so that you can look like you're in control. When we pass our children through the fire to restore morality or order to our condemning lives, he or she is deformed by our need for them to be the Savior. How are they deformed? They become the Savior. They become twisted little lords and queens of the house and of the family, and of the world, and their tears are like God's word. Ah! Oh, we better move quickly. They are bullies and brats, and they're mean and disrespectful, and we wonder why. First of all, because they 
if you're a sinner, your child's a little sinner. That's the first reason. The second reason is you got a dysfunctional little kid because you're trying to control them. Please be perfect and be right, and I'm going to give you all the perfect things, and, and mommy's going to cry, or daddy's going to cry when it doesn't go perfect, or it doesn't go right, or you throw up on your new thing, and I'm not trying to say those things aren't frustrating, but when your sense of control is the reason you're treating, trying to be such the perfect parent, it ruins your child. Look at Solomon. Oh man, daddy was in control. But now he's got 300 wives. And a thousand concubines. Something went wrong. His house took... Let me see if I can get this right. God's house took seven years to build. His house took 14 years to build. Something wrong. Far from giving us a sense of redemption, chidolatry offers us a sense of worth. Our children become our new sense of worth. The fact of your parenting, the beauty of your child, the way you have dressed them and treat them is a great honor to you. And yes, the most basic thing about being parents of joy is that true children are a blessing from the Lord, yes, but they are not your ultimate sense of worth. Yet we look to them to be. I was talking to my friend when when Kelly and I were in, in, in more of a depressed part of Baltimore, you know, we're talking about the, why we can't understand why these people keep having children out of wedlock. And we, you know, some of us folk educated and don't have all them problems. We're like, why don't people keep having children out of wedlock? What's wrong with them? They can't get it together? Why can't they be like us? You all understand. It has the ability, when you have a child, To raise you from nothingness to being something. From childhood, now you're an adult. From not getting any attention to everyone giving you attention. From worthless to worth more. You all get that because we all struggle in such a demeaning world. We're seeing our kids as giving us a sense of worth and it should go the other way. Them from us and us from God. But but have you ever had a baby smile at you? Oh, Lord. I don't care who you are. Man, I go to a hospital and visit y'all when y'all have babies. And the baby, that's it. I'm done. Like I said, sometimes my boys, they'll be misbehaving and acting crazy. And I'll go in and try to discipline. Hey, daddy. Oh. Ever had a tod- toddler hug you? Man, I come home from work. Daddy! And they hug me. Oh, gosh, it's powerful. Someone loves you unconditionally when you don't deserve it. That little baby gives you worth and honor, man. And, and that's beautiful to know. But in childolatry, it becomes a way to ultimate worth giving, to love giving. And I want to be careful here, but, 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 but let me say this. Because the age of our congregation, this happens. When you fail to conceive, let me say this. With the horror of miscarriages... And lack of conceptions for whatever reason drops on your life. It is a time for tears and sorrow. Because in light of the fall, it is something gone wrong. Considering what God said to and how he equipped the first couple with in the garden, I cry with you and I hope with you and I want to explore every medical and adoptive option with fervence with you. 
But when this terrible thing becomes news for your life, like anything you can't have or can't have now, it gets magnified. Especially when you've got a bunch of idolaters around you. Heads up in the air more than they should be because they're perfect little children and perfect little way of raising. Having children can become life. Like anything, it can become your sense of worth. And not only for those who couldn't have, but for those that are single and you're not there yet. But for those who have it, it sometimes is a badge of womanhood. Not that that isn't part of it, but it becomes what gives you worth as a woman and a man. And yet children have become the new glory for some of you men and women in ways that they should not be. You are a man or a woman filled with the image and likeness of God because God said so. Not because you do or do not have children. Man, then the new glory for some of us in ways your wife or husband isn't. Man, your husband and your wife ain't doing right. Just turn all your attention to your children. Just spoil them to death. Oh, well, so-and-so ain't loving me, but I'll go deal with that. I'll just pour myself into my children every hour, every day. My wife, my marriage isn't perfect, but oh, my relationship, my kids will be close to it. And here is the problem. Like we pointed out earlier, they become the new sign of control and success in ways our professions or lack of professions happen. And here he is, they reflect the image to us in a way only God should. In a state of beauty and wonder of a child showing you something about God, instead of God being the mirror of your dignity and beauty, they become the new mirror of God. They become little gods and, and we look at them and we worship and honor them like they are. We're afraid to tell them no some of us we're afraid we'll crack the mirror that reflects and loves us so much some of you can't can't stand your children not to be happy with you because they're your new God you're afraid of their power over you in public you're afraid we will mess up with them Like, like our God or king we give them more clothes and toys anything they demand as long as they continue to reflect unto us a new life a forgiveness of sins of a past life of making us feel beautiful and worth something and maybe even some balm for the way we were burned as children by our The Bible calls that passing your children through the fire. God said something very interesting to parents. It says in Deuteronomy this. I'm going to have to paraphrase. Tell them the story about how you were slaves and I delivered you. Why? Yes, so the kids can know God. It's a good little Bible story before they go to bed. Yes, but but this is just as much for the parents. See, the story led the parents to remember where their hope of redemption is, to remember how and where you escape condemnation. Remember what makes you and your child worth something. Remember where love comes from. God is saying, from me, not from your children. Remember where the help to even raise these children are. It's not in your own hands. It's, It's not in your own power. It's not in your own assessments and building of things, not in what you provide, which proved to be incomplete or a failure, but according to what I have given to parents and children by grace. Your parenting, your care for your children is about God's care for you. 
And our lack of belief in this leads us fighting for all those things outside of God. And as twisted as passing kids through the fire is, our utter struggle for purpose and meaning and salvation and worth apart from the message of grace will lead us to offer our children instead of taking God's offer of grace for all the things wrong inside of us. Jesus makes this truth clearer and deeper. When his disciples thought he was being bothered by children, he said this, let the little children come to me. And then he follows it with this, such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, come like them. I think this is very interesting. Bring, give your children to Jesus. Give your care of them to him. Don't keep them to yourself and for yourself. Jesus says, raise your children towards me. Bend them towards me, not you. Let Lead them, uh, make their purposes toward me because your purposes are twisted, parents. Yes, parents, you're twisted. You got some things wrong. Now look what he finishes with here. The motivation, the ability, the freedom to give your children to Jesus, to free them from being used as sacrifices or idols for your own good is this. See that and how you come to him like them, like children. Let your children come, cause and as you come to Jesus. In other words, our propensity to use our kids to make them suffer for us, to make them pass through the fire, to exasperate them, is about our lack of coming to Jesus to care for us as children. That you and I have not known the care of sitting on Jesus' knee, of having him look in our eyes with a glance that gives worth, of having God be our Father, one who redeems us and frees us from condemnation. And here is the hit. We will cause our children to pass through the fires when we have not seen and known and trusted one who goes through the fire for us. And for our children. Jesus was passed through the fire. By his father. So that we would find what we need or long for or lack in him alone. So that we will not see the need or have the desire to use our children. To abuse our children. To burn our children to sacrifice them for all purposes. Jesus is saying, come to me, children. Yes, you children who are parents and want to be parents or caretakers, I alone give new life. I alone can heal what your parents did to you and left you in. I alone can forgive what you have done. I alone can sit you on God's knee. We're in calling him father or daddy. You can get worth for your souls. I alone have come to heal the burns of children past to the fire who, who have become parents and adults. And I alone by grace love you your children enough to save them from the fires of your own hands. Let all the children come to me. I'm going to close with this song I grew up singing. Jesus calls the children dear. Come to me and never fear. 
For I love the little children of the world. I will take you by the hand, lead you to a better land, for I love the little children of the world. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow and black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. Jesus is the shepherd true. And he'll always stand by you. For he loves the little children of the world. He's a savior, great and strong. And he'll shield you from the wrong. For he loves the little children. It is the love of Jesus that breaks the power of childolatry. It's up to it's the love of Jesus for all children, you parents included, that breaks that cycle and power. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have been burned by our parents. And we burn to love us, Jesus. Like children who've been scarred by the misguided but good intentions of our parents. Heal us so that our kids can find healing in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus. Loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world.